Yeah, we're, we're a premium service. Uh, we work, you know, in real estate, the industry that we're in, the top 10% of real estate agents sell 41% of all homes sold in the US. Mm -hmm. We're not interested, Nathan, there's 2 million agents in, in, in the US uh, that have a license. We're not interested in working with the bottom 90%. You are listening to Conversations with Nathan Latka. Now, if you're hearing this, it means you're not currently on our subscriber feed. To subscribe, go to getlatka.com. When you subscribe, you won't hear ads like this one. You'll get the full interviews. Right now, you're only hearing partial interviews. And you'll get interviews three weeks earlier from founders, thinkers, and people I find interesting. Like Eric Wan, 18 months before he took Zoom public. We got to grow faster. Minimum is 100% over the past several years. Or bootstrap founders like Vivek of Question Pro. When I started the company, it was not cool to raise. Or Looker CEO Frank Bean before Google acquired his company for $2.6 billion. We want to see a real pervasive data culture, and then the rest flows behind that. If you'd like to subscribe, go to gitlatka.com. There, you'll find a private RSS feed that you can add to your favorite podcast listening tool, along with other subscriber-only content. Now look, I never want money to be the reason you can't listen to episodes. On the checkout page, you'll see an option to request free access. I grant 100% of those requests, no questions asked. Hello, everyone. My guest today is Jimmy Mackin. He's the CEO of Curator, a full-service digital marketing company focused on helping listing agents get more listings. In seven years, the company's grown over $10 million in annual recurring revenue, has been featured in Forbes, Huffington Post, USA Today, and other outlets. In 2019, Jimmy co-authored Exactly What to Stay for Real Estate Agents, a best-selling book designed to help agents with common, critical, and difficult questions they face. He's also host with Water Cooler, over 115 episodes and 8.5 million minutes watched, the go-to resource for a lot of folks in the industry. Jimmy, ready to take to the top? Yes, sir. Excited All to be right. here. I'm excited you're here too. So, so just be clear, this is, a, this is really a service business and you're just now thinking about what to launch in SaaS. Is that accurate? Well, no, I would, I would describe us as um, technology-empowered uh, professional services. So we've always, been, we've always had a technology component to Curator. In fact, I think we initially started, probably about 50% of our clients were just relying entirely on our technology. Uh, but over time, we've, uh, we've really focused on the services aspect of the business mm -hmm. to help scale and to help really deliver value. Uh, the way we think about it, maybe it's not traditional for your audience, but the way we think about it is not, is not software versus services. We think about it as a solution, which is how do we use technology and how do we use services to deliver an actual solution for the customers? So when it's appropriate, we'll use software. When it's appropriate, we'll use services. But at the end of the day, it's all about just getting results for the clients. And last year in 2020, if you break down your revenue from tech-enabled services versus pure SaaS, what percent uh, went with each? Yeah, so we, uh, well, when we started the year, we were 80% um, SaaS and 20% services. And a huge initiative for me was to, to balance that number out. Now, I know for the VCs who maybe watch these, these, these shows, they're, they're going to say that's going to affect your multiple. But for a bootstrap company like, our, like us, like, that's not something that's really on our radar. So I wanted to get more of our customers using our software, our, our services. So last year, we ended with 50% of our customers who have a professional service and 50% who just rely entirely on our tech platform. Interesting. Okay, let's just focus on SaaS for a second. What, what was MRR last month? Um, 780, 780,000. Yeah. And how many customers were paying that? 
Well, we have, uh, sorry, I'm sorry. How many pay you total? Yeah, we have like between four eighty and and five hundred clients. Okay, so this is expense. I mean, uh, I mean, it's seven hundred eighty thousand dollars in MRR divided by five hundred customers. I mean, this is a this is sort of a mid market s you know enterprise play at fifteen hundred dollars a month average contract size. Yeah, we're we're a premium service. Uh, we work you know in real estate, the industry that we're in. The top ten percent of real estate agents sell forty one percent of all homes sold in the U.S. Mm -hmm. We're not interested, Nathan. There's two million agents in in, in the U.S. Uh, that have a license. We're not interested in working with the bottom ninety percent, the part timers, the ones that sell two or three homes a year. We want to work with sort of the entrepreneurs who actually have a business, who are trying to grow, who need the support and uh, and resources to to make that happen. So for us, we we focus on the. Uh, what would be considered not even mid-market for us, it's really considered sort of the, the top tier enterprise in real estate. And if you're doing $780,000 a month in revenue last month, where were you about a year ago so we can understand growth? Well, we were probably around the same point. Um, you know, when we, uh, we at, our, at our bottom during COVID, geez, we got down to like probably $495,000 a month in MRR. Mm -hmm. Um, and that was obviously on the back of the real estate market shutting down and, and we lost a lot of customers very quickly. We lost a lot of revenue very quickly, um, more on the software side than on the services side, but it, it, it hurt nevertheless. Um, and so what we've done over the last really six to, to eight months is get us back to where we really needed to be and focus on everything we could do to innovate, to get ourselves in a position where we were essential to the customer. Mm -hmm. uh, so we were able to essentially kind of get back to where we were, which is like, in some respects for us, um, something we're really proud of and felt yeah. like was a massive success. Yeah. How did you do that though? Did you just resign? Are you resigning people up that churned during COVID or are you getting new customers altogether? Well, <clears throat> so the strategy, you know, I think a lot of people forget, you know, what it was like in March because now we're February. It feels like a lifetime ago, right? Um, but the thing that became so obvious to us, the number one lesson we had in COVID was very simple, is that we absolutely had to be essential. We had to be Netflix. We couldn't be Hulu or Peacock or Quibi. You know, I saw an article recently on the LA Times, Nathan, that said, uh, it, and I think you've got a kick out of this. Yeah. It said uh, streaming companies like HBO and Disney are experiencing this phenomenon called churn. And in the article, they went on to talk about how, um, you know, 46% of consumers in the last six months are going to cancel a streaming service. And so for Curator, when we started to think about our value proposition, we started to realize very quickly that we needed to get closer to the customer and more importantly, closer to the cash register. So what we did uh, to get us from being at 495 back to where we are today is we understood that we had to say, okay, we have to innovate. And so we had to focus on what is the value proposition that customers really need right now. We were primarily marketing, but it, it had to be advertising because advertising for our clients, uh, a much faster time to value. So we, we shifted our focus to entering into the real estate advertising market, which is, you know, $19 billion market. The biggest player in the space is Zillow. Uh, they're the dominant player. And we said, we're going to provide a, an alternative to Zillow, and we're going to help our clients get an ROI on their advertising spend in conjunction with our marketing services. And that was a huge driver of growth for us. And, and more importantly, it allowed our customers to quantify very easily what the ROI of Curator was, which is ultimately the goal for any company like us. Mm -hmm. Okay, so $780,000 a month in revenue today, about a $9.3 million run rate, 500 customers paying. I assume you guys are profitable since you're bootstrapped. Is that accurate? Yeah, so when, uh, when I took over as um, CEO- uh, When was that? 
uh, October of 20, 2019. Um, so October 2019, the first three months we were uh, hemorrhaging cash. We burned upwards, I think, of around $690,000 in cash in the first three months. Uh, in the last five months or last four months, excuse me, we've made over $550,000 in cash. That's um, great. That's, that's I'm sorry? That's great. Yeah. Well, you know, we're really proud of it because it's largely due to just operational excellence. Just like, you know, uh, it's, it's the way we think about it is playing offense and defense at the same time. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think, I think this is, again, we're pretty simple as a bootstrap company, but I think in a lot of cases, when you're comparing yourself constantly to other fast growing SaaS companies, you tend to overinvest and, 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 and expect that timeline of return to be much faster than it actually is. So, you know, part of the discipline of being a bootstrap company is to be conscientious of what is a long-term investment that you can make that maybe or maybe not will play out versus what, you know, what, what do you need to do now to actually make money to keep yeah. the, uh, keep the doors open. Here. What, what is the economic relationship between you and Chris Smith? I believe Chris founded the company what, back in 2013. Yeah, we're co-founders. So we're equal partners. Okay. Oh, wow. So he gave you 50% of the company when he came in in 2019. No. So Chris, so Chris and I co-founded the company together. So we you were did. together on, on, yeah, on day one. Yeah. I see. I see. Okay. So you guys just split it equal 50, 50 day one. And then you took over our CEO 2019. Yeah. So we actually have a third partner curator. So it's, it's one third, one third, one third. With the three partners, we have a silent partner who was involved in the technology at the beginning, who has I now stepped back, stepped back from the business. I see. So what was a big change in 2019 and you just taking over CEO? Yeah, well, you know, one of the things that Chris and I realized, um, well, first off, I think for anyone who's watching right now who is a founder, uh, my advice is very simple, is that the relationship you have with your co-founders is maybe the single most important thing that you need to work on to ensure that you can actually build a sustainable business. Um, and the relationship I have with Chris is just phenomenal. It's someone who I've always admired and respected and someone who I've always used as a mentor and the sounding board. And so in 2019 for Chris and I, uh, it became really clear and obvious that the company needed a single voice and a single leader. And that transition from a founder to a CEO is a really difficult transition for most people to make. You know, founders, Nathan, you know this already because you're in this space, like founders have all of the power, but none of the responsibility or accountability. Uh, and so, you know, you, you, you can do whatever you want to do, but you're not really responsible to anybody in, 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 in bootstrap world, you're not accountable to anybody except maybe your other partners, but even that's not really the case. Mm -hmm. When you become CEO, you have to sort of defer the power and defer the responsibility, but ultimately you're accountable. So for Chris and I, it became clear to us that, Hey, this is, this is what the, this company needs to, to level up and go to the, go to where we want to take it. And um, what's it look so like today? The team, how many folks total? We got about 46 people at Curator. Give okay. Take. And how many engineers? We got about eight engineers. Eight. Any quota carrying sales reps or no? Yeah, we actually have been. Uh, one of the things that I did when we mentioned earlier about uh, bringing the, um, you know, having to sort of turn the ship around in 2019 and going into 2020 and surviving COVID is I, one of the first decisions I made uh, is I uh, basically reassigned uh, our entire sales team into customer service. And so we had virtually no salespeople. I was a salesperson, right? I'd handle sales calls, uh, which sounds crazy for a CEO to do that. But the reality was we had to focus 100% of our effort on getting our churn down, making sure our customers were you know, ecstatic, driving up our NPS, driving up our CSAT, driving up just our overall word of mouth. And uh, so since then, you know, once we felt like we really had a grasp on that and customers really began to get value out of Curator, uh, we then began to build a sales team. So currently we have two SDRs, three sales reps, one sales manager. So just the three reps carry quota or are they all carry quota? 
Uh, when you say carry quota, you mean? They have a quota target. Their, their, their compensation is based off hitting a quote selling plans. Yeah, yeah. So they have, they have, they have, they have monthly goals. So, so all five or just, just three? Well, the, 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 the SDRs are responsible for uh, yeah. booking, obviously, uh, demos for the sales reps. So they have a quota to hit in terms of like demos, not a financial quota. So yeah, I'm looking uh, for a financial quota. Yeah, so the, the, only, only the reps have a financial Three. quota. Yeah, yeah, okay, okay. And what do you, I mean, look, one of the big mistakes founders make when they look to scale their sales teams, especially the quota-carrying reps, they get the ratio wrong of quota target to on-target earnings. So what do you say yours at? What's the quota for those three reps with quota? Well, for the company, we want them to really be about 70%, right? So if, like, if they're, each of them are at 70% of their quota, then we're going to hit the company goals. Okay. Um, anything above and beyond that, we're, we're like, you know, it's obviously gravy. So, so what is 100% of quota? 100% would be probably about 27 to 30 uh, subscriptions a month. For us, that's roughly 2275 because we've been moving up in price. Mm -hmm. uh, sorry, I'm not following. 2275 what? 2275 a month is our, our, our base price, right? So you said our ARPU earlier was like, what, 1600, 1650? Yep. So to sign up and partner with Curator, it's $22.75 per month. That's the cost. So each rep is responsible for getting 10 deals per month. So oh, we, I see. In, in, you, you with me? Yeah. So 10 deals is 22,000 in new MRR per rep per month or annualized. It's about a quarter million in new ARR, uh, per, you know, closed every month. Correct. Yeah. And we have six month agreements. Then we go month to month after that. But yeah, that's correct. Interesting. Okay. Interesting. Three times another 12. Yes. That's, I mean, that's aggressive actually. I mean, if they hit our hitting quota at hundred percent, that's like 3.2 million, a new ARR added per rep per year. But you said they stay at like 70%. That's still like, it's a big quota. That's a large 2.2 million quota is a big target for us, you know, in, in, you know, listen, I think in, in, in the world that we live in, when you are, when you focus on supporting the reps with inbound leads and, and, and you focus on investing really heavily in marketing, um, and you focus on building your brand, then it's possible, right? Uh, if you if if you sort of are forcing your entire uh, sales team to be outbound reps or to sort of you know uh, kill what they eat, um, that's an it's an incredibly difficult challenge. You know, I, I, it's I it's not it's, cheap. It's, I'm sorry, I'm going to cut you off. We're running out of time, though, but it's not cheap to feed these reps. I mean, what are you what are you spending on fully weighted CAC to get a new sixteen hundred dollar a month account? When you say fully weighted CAC, you're referring to how much does it cost for us to acquire a customer? Oh, a customer, yeah. Yeah, you know, it, yeah, we, so. we track this really recently. So this, you know, may evolve over time. But right now, our CAC is roughly about $7,500. Okay. Yeah, that's not horrible. So you're getting like a four or five, six month payback period, something like that. Correct. And when you look at churn in a SaaS company, obviously, it's critical. What's your revenue churn over the past 12 months? It's sort of weird because you recovered a ton via COVID. But what's that look like? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think over the last twelve months, super high, and then not so high. So, like in the yeah. last, like let's 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 take the last, um, you know, the month of February as, as an example. Like our our revenue churn is like one point seven percent. Yeah. Um, and, <clears throat> the thing that we don't have that we we obviously are focusing on these days is moving towards uh, how do we get net revenue retention, right? And so that model is going to have to evolve this year for us to make. So you don't have a way to drive expansion revenue, is what you're saying. No, because we, we, uh, well, we did, but we don't now because we only sell a single product now. Um, so when we, when we, when we introduced an expansion option during COVID, you know, we sold that into our customer base and got to 50% of our customers using services. But now the only thing we sell is our sort of, 
you know, fully featured, fully, uh, full, fully professional service uh, offering. And so there's nowhere to go up at this particular moment. Obviously, over time, that's going to change. You know, pretty quickly, we're going to introduce new ways to sort of bring um, bring more value to customers and figure out way, more ways to sell yeah. more things to them. But initially, we're just starting with sort of a singular product. And the reason we do that is to streamline the entire operations from an onboarding perspective, from a customer success perspective. It's easier to maintain one product, although the economics of it obviously are a little more challenging. Uh, it at least allows us to sort of get our ducks in a row as we begin to prepare to scale. What would you value the company at today? I feel like that's a question for you, Nathan. Uh, I have no idea. Evaluation is a very emotional thing. There's no science. You know, it's everything I read about evaluations is, you know, if you're a service business, it's, it's like, you know, four to six X EBITDA. If you're a software business, it could be seven to 10 X revenue. I think I, I look at our valuation um, in terms of the narrative. I say, okay, in our space, Zillow is our biggest competitor. They're generating a billion dollars in annual revenue off of agent advertising. They're moving into something called a flex model, which is essentially saying, we're going to take some of your commission, 25%, 30%, and we're not going to charge you any money upfront to run ads on Zillow. As a result of that, roughly a billion dollars over the next five years of agent advertising is going to look to move to either social or search or video. There needs to be a company in this space that takes that market. And I feel like we're in a great position to do that. So love that future, but what would you value it today? Yeah. What would I sell the company for? No, no, no. Different question. Cause that's very different. Just value. Sure. It's a, it's an impossible question to answer it. Like it's some, I guess, I guess I know this is, the, this is probably not great for your audience, but like, I don't think about that. Like, what do I want the company to be like? What is it worth today? Who knows? 50 million, hundred million, 200 million. Like it's what would, what would I take for it? You know, theoretically, if someone gave me life changing money, sure. But we're a profitable business, right? What would be life changing money? You know, life-changing money for, for any founder is when you can walk away with $10 million, $20 million. That's, that's life-changing money, right? Yeah, you um, own 30%. So post-tax, that would need to be a deal in the sort of 90 to $120 million valuation range. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's life-changing. Yeah. But, but, but clearly, like, that's not what I'm looking to do. Yep. Um, but yes. Makes uh, sense, Jimmy. Let's wrap up here with the famous, let's wrap up here with the famous five. Sure. Number one, favorite business book. Yeah, Oh man, How the Mighty Fall by Jim Collins. Number two, is there a CEO you're following or studying? Yeah, CEO. Um, one, one that I've been following lately is uh, Emily Weiss from Glossier. I really admire and respect what she's doing over there. Number three, what's your favorite online tool for building a business? Man. <clears throat> Section four is a uh, educational course by a guy named Scott Galloway, and it provides some of the absolute best advice on building a brand, business strategy that I've ever ever been able to uh, to be a part of. So that is absolutely my kind of go to resource for education for myself. Number four, how many hours of sleep do you get every night? How many hours of sleep? Yep. I got a 16 month old daughter. I still get like eight hours. Okay, that's good. good. The situation. It sounds like married, one kid. Married one kid, yeah. All right. And how old are you, Jimmy? 35 years old. Take us home. What's something you wish you knew when you were 20? All right. Well, let me, let me answer that question differently. Uh, 
I think the I think the interesting question is what would the what would the Jimmy of twenty years from now, you know, tell this person the guy I am today, and I think the advice that person would give me would be, uh, don't hesitate. Guys, there you have it. Curator, curator founded back in 2013. Three co-founders split it a third, a third, a third. They've bootstrapped where they are today. Just broke a $780,000 a month uh, uh, thing after getting beat up during COVID. Revenue dropped down to $490,000 a month. But again, flooring with a $10 million ARR mark, serving 500 customers, enterprise motion, have profited 500 grand over the past three months. Again, all bootstrapped, 46 people on the team, eight engineers with the sales team. They are cranking up. They're growing fast. 24% churn annually, about 1.7% last month on the revenue side. They're looking to figure out how to fix that. We'll see what happens. Jimmy, thanks for taking us to the top. All right, Nathan. Be well, my friend.